0: So Easter is two weeks away. Uh, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And if you keep track of those kind of things, Palm Sunday is the day when we commemorate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And that entire week from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, when we look at, when we look at the events of Jesus' life, it is full. It is full of teaching. It is full of emotion. You know, we know more about that week of Jesus' life than we do of any other day, of any other period of His life. We know more about that week. It begins, as, as I said, on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in triumphantly into Jerusalem as palm branches were thrown down, as people shouted praises. Mark tells us in his Gospel, he makes a point of telling us that Jesus entered Jerusalem and He went to the temple. And Mark says that He looked around and He saw everything That was happening there, but it was late. And so he went back to the place where he was staying. He went back to the house in the little town of Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. The next day was Monday. And on Monday, Jesus comes back to the temple. And if you know the story, that is the day when Jesus cleansed the temple. Now, you and I often look at that story of Jesus cleansing the temple, of Him making whips out of the cords and whipping the people who are buying and selling, of Him turning over the tables, of Him shouting. We often look at that story as Jesus just losing it. We often think Jesus has absolutely lost it. He is angry. We might even think of Jesus being out of control in that moment. But I want you to think about what Mark told us. Mark says that he came in Sunday night and he saw everything that was happening. He saw the money changers. He saw those selling animals for sacrifices at exorbitant rates. And, and then he went back and stayed in Bethany. And so, what happens Monday, I do not believe, is Jesus out of control. I believe what happens on Monday is a very controlled and calculated moment for Jesus. I want to read as Mark writes of it in Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. Mark writes, and they came to Jerusalem, and he, that is Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer? For all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. The key is there in verse 17. Jesus is quoting Isaiah, a prophecy in Isaiah about who Israel was to be. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Not just God's chosen people, not just the Jews walled off from the rest of of humanity keeping other people away from God, but they were to be the way. They were to be the way that others would find God. And so it isn't Jesus losing it. It, This is not a a passage that gives us an excuse for our anger, for a holy tirade. This was Jesus angry because in the very place where people should have found God, they found a wall. In fact, they found lots of walls. I want to show you what I mean. Now, this, this piece of art right here, uh, first of all, I just want to point out, I drew this myself, so, thank you, no applause, come on, a little bit of, okay, pretty good, right, pretty good, and you're like, what is it, it's just a series of boxes, well, these are the walls, this is an overhead view of the temple in Jerusalem, and what you're seeing there is wall after wall after wall that told people, you are in, you are out, you can come further, but you can't. Now that little square, the red square in the middle, that is the Holy of Holies. Some of you recognize it as the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant had been kept. That was walled off. There was a curtain in front of it, and one person was allowed within that wall once a year. The high priest was allowed to go in there and make the atoning sacrifice in the very presence of God, but no one else was allowed within that wall. Now the second wall you see, This is the wall, this is the area known as the court of the priests. And only the priests were allowed in there. The Levites, the priests were allowed to go in there. That's where they made sacrifices. That's where they served God in in His presence. And, And only one of them, of course, was allowed to go to the Holy of Holies. But if you were a priest, you were allowed to get that close to God. The next wall... This is the court of Israel, but I have to tell you, it was actually the court of men. The court of Jewish men. If you were a Jewish man, you were allowed to go within that enclosure, you were allowed to go within that wall, and that was as close as you could get to God. I'm sorry, ladies, you were not allowed into that area. But if it makes you feel better, this is the court of women. And you're like, hey, it's bigger. Okay, it's a little further away from God but it's a lot bigger. That's pretty nice. Well, first of all, it wasn't just the court of women. It's also the treasury. That's where they took up the offerings. So was it bigger to let more women in or was it bigger to let more money in? I'll let you decide one way or another. And then this wall, this wall is called the, the sacred enclosure. It was actually a It was called the balustrade also. It was a series of balusters you might think of it as. It was a a short wall about four and a half, five feet high that completely surrounded that area and only Jews were allowed within the balustrade, within the sacred enclosure. No Gentile was allowed beyond that wall. In fact, there were signs, there were warnings all around. The warnings, one of the signs said this, no foreigner is to enter within the forecourt, that is where the women, uh, the court of women and the court of the offering, the court of the treasury, no foreigner is allowed to enter within the forecourt and the balustrade around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. For his subsequent death. Not if, not, you know, we might feel generous that day, maybe we won't, no, no if for his subsequent death. You will be killed. You are not allowed inside that wall. You all have to stay out here. That was the court of the Gentiles. Now, what you need to understand is that God did not build that wall. God did not build that wall. What had God said through the prophet Isaiah? What was it that Jesus quoted? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And what the Jewish people had done by building those walls was they were keeping some people out. Or rather, let's just be honest, they were keeping most people out. They were being disobedient. They were being disobedient to, the, to God's will. They were being disobedient to God's call to them as a nation, to His plan to redeem the world. But you know, that the problem wasn't really... The wall, the problem was the attitude that put that wall up. An attitude that said, you're in, but but you're out. You're with us, but but you're not. You're okay, we don't know about you. And it's an attitude that we're just as susceptible to today. And it's an attitude that Paul addressed when he wrote to the church in Ephesus. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 22 today. It's, again, page 976 in those blue Bibles that we provide. You know, Ephesus was a a different kind of church. Ephesus was a church that was mostly made up of Gentiles, mostly made up of people who would not have been allowed beyond that wall when when it was standing. But they still had a mentality that said, Jesus came for the Jews. We're second class. We're in afterthought. We are plan B. And so Paul began his letter, if you remember from Ephesians chapter 1, Paul began his letter with a reminder, reminding them of who they are in Christ. You are chosen, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you have been adopted as God's sons. And now here he reminds them of who we all are together, beginning there in verse verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now I hope we understand that this addresses pretty much everyone in this room. Because I, I may be making a huge assumption here, but I really don't think any of us were raised Jewish. None of us that I know of. If, if I'm mistaken about your background, I, I'm sorry, but but I know I was not raised Jewish. I did not grow up celebrating Passover. I did not grow up getting gifts on Hanukkah, which I always thought was cool because there were eight days, so that means like more presents, right? I, I did not grow up uh, at thir- age 13. I did, not, uh, I did not have my bar mitzvah. I could not have spelled that or pronounced it. I'm really still not sure if I'm doing it right now. But not a single one of us has an edge on heaven. Not a single one of us has the clout that gives us an instant in with God. Every one of us has been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist, as he looked up and saw Jesus approaching him, do you remember what John the Baptist said? He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of some people. So he said, no. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. There's no room for a wall in a statement like what John has said. There's no room for a wall whether it's at a temple or whether it's in our hearts. There's no room for us to say some people are more welcome than others. Some people are more saved than others or that we have an advantage because we've been here longer. We've put our time in, we've put our energy in, we've put our money in longer than other people. We have an advantage. There's no room for that. None of us has an advantage over the other because all of us have Jesus. That's where we all start. That's what we all build upon. That's what unites us as the family of God. And that means we're in this together. It means that We can't find peace with God without also seeking peace with each other. That that wall at the temple, that was not there to to protect the Gentiles from God. God wasn't going to lay the whammy on them. God wanted everyone. It, It was there to tell the Gentiles, we don't want you here. You're not welcome here. And that sign that said whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. That sounds hostile, doesn't it? It sounds like a hostile sign. But I think about it and I think, well, at least they had a sign. At least they had a sign telling them they they weren't welcome. So often in our world when people aren't welcome, they don't don't get a sign. They They get a cold shoulder. They get a cold shoulder. They get distance. They get uninvited or not invited. They They have reminders, you're not one of us. But I want you to listen to what Paul writes in verses 14 through 18. Paul says, for he, that is Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in, his, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." For he himself is our peace. The peace that Paul is writing about, it's not just peace with God. It's not just peace with myself, that I can live with myself and the mistakes that I have made. It is peace with each other. He he makes the point. His point is that Christ is our peace. The peace that we need with each other, that, that through him, that wall of hostility has been broken down. Their wall at the temple and our wall that we keep in our hearts that wall that says i don't want you here i i don't want you to be part of this i don't want you in i don't want you to know me that wall should not exist nothing absolutely nothing should divide the church that peace is what jesus came for that peace is what jesus died for that peace is him some some of you remember the sermon on the mount And the Sermon on the Mount begins with a series of blessings. We call them Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. One of the Beatitudes says, blessed are the peacemakers, the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Do you hear that? Blessed are the peacemakers. He himself is our peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I want you to hear that because what it tells me is if you seek peace, you take on the very nature of Christ himself. And so so who we are in Christ, as Paul showed us in chapter 1, who we are in Christ, that we we are chosen, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are adopted as his children, that can't just be about me. We need to see that in each other. And to do that, we can't be looking over walls. We can't be looking around walls. And we might need to stop and ask ourselves, have we put up any walls? Have we put up any walls that that Jesus wants down? I read a story this week. I was reading an article about contracting mistakes. Mistakes that contractors have made when they were doing their work. And, And it was very honest and very embarrassing in some of those stories and just very difficult. And, and one contractor had written in and told his story. And he, he was very young. It was the first house that he had ever been in charge of. He was in charge of putting this house up. And he was going on that day when he was to pour the footers and begin laying the blocks. And well, he left the plans at home on his kitchen table. <laughs> now it was a 15-minute 15 15 minute drive back to the house I mean, do I really want to take 15 minutes to go back to the house, another 15 and come back? That's a half hour. Time is money, right? So he guessed. He thought he knew where that wall was supposed to go. Well, he guessed wrong. And he set the corner of the house two feet beyond the setback, the setback line. Sure would have been nice to take a half hour and go get those plans. But instead, He rounded up all of his college friends, all of his old college buddies, because they were still pretty young, rounded them all up, and he bought each one of them a butter knife. And they used those butter knives with that soft cement, and they they carefully took those blocks apart one by one, cleaned them off, and then he re-poured the foundation and moved it to the place where it was supposed to be. It is costly when we don't build according to the plans, isn't it? And you know, the same is true in the church, not not the church building, mind you, but but in the fellowship of the church, in the heart of the church, the people of the church. And Paul says in verse 19, so then you, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to hear in those words everything that Jesus desires to build here. And realize that it is all exactly the opposite of what He saw when He entered the temple that day. He quotes Isaiah, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. But he saw divisions in people. He saw that they had put up walls, that they had robbed people of God and they had robbed God of his people. Two chapters later, as they walk out of that structure, the disciples, just poor country boys from Galilee, they say to Jesus, Lord, look at these, look at these buildings. Look at these buildings. These are impressive. Look at how big they are. And Jesus says of those walls right there, he says, you see these walls? There will not be left one stone upon the other. Jesus said all of those walls will be torn down. And so we're we're left to reflect and we're left to ask ourselves a couple of questions. We're left to ask ourselves, have we put up any walls that Jesus wants down? Do we put up walls that decides who's in and who's out? Who fits and who doesn't? Again, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I read that and I realize no one belongs here more than you. No one belongs here more than you. No one with faith is a stranger. We are all members of the family of God. Verse 20, he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Cornerstone, the, the purpose of a cornerstone in those days, as I'm sure it kind of is today as well, but the purpose of the cornerstone was to line up the wall with the cornerstone. You know, you, you lay a brick over here, you don't line that brick up with the brick next to it, you line that brick up with the cornerstone. You lay a brick all the way down here, you don't line that up with the two or three in front of it. You lay it, you line it with the cornerstone. You don't look at the brick next to you and say, well, I'm pretty close. Uh, you know, we, we wear the same clothes to church. I, I, that's probably good. We, we look pretty good. You don't look at the brick next to you and say, that brick doesn't vote the way I vote. It probably doesn't belong here. You line up with the cornerstone. You line up with the cornerstone. And when everything is lined up with the cornerstone, it all fits. There is peace. The peace we have with each other, the peace we have with each other comes from the peace that we have with Christ. The peace we have with our cornerstone. And therefore, if you don't have peace, if, if you have a situation in your life that's not peaceful, I would ask, where are you looking first? Where do you look first? I don't think you look to the other person that you're not having peace with. I think you look to Jesus. I don't think you look to the other person and say, how do they line up with me? How do they agree with me? How do, do they dress like I dress? Do they, do they look like I look? Do they care about the things that I care about? You look to Jesus. The first place you look is to your relationship with Jesus. Who do you know yourself to be in Christ? Do you know yourself to be chosen? Do you know yourself to be forgiven and redeemed and adopted as God's children? And then as we saw at the beginning of chapter 2, how are you serving in Christ? Have you been doing the good works that he prepared in advance for you to do? And you know, the most unusual aspect of this new temple is that it has never been finished. Did you notice that? This new temple has, has never been finished. Again, verses 21 and 22, it says of Jesus, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It continues to grow, it continues to be joined together. That tells me that we're never finished. There never comes a point when you and I can sit back and say, well, we're done. <laughs> We've done it all. We're as big as we need to be. We've got all the people we need to get. We don't need that person over there. They're not going to fit anyway. There never comes a point when we can say that. It, tells me we're, it also tells me we're not complete without you. You belong here. You belong with us. Next Sunday's Palm Sunday. And next Sunday we'll remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Next Monday, maybe you stop and you think about him cleansing the temple. Maybe you stop and think about those walls that divided. But you know, neither one of those is the focus of the week. On Good Friday, we'll be reminded of the, of the crucifixion. We'll be reminded of Jesus' death. Mark says in Mark 15, 38, he says that when Jesus breathed his last, the curtain of the temple, which was another wall, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom it was god's way of saying we're not putting up walls anymore this is open to everyone you need peace with jesus we need peace with jesus and the beautiful thing is we can find that together without walls and so today if 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 you're just feeling overwhelmed by your need for peace with jesus we want to be here with you and we want to give you we want to give you our word we're not going to put up a wall around you <laughs> We're not going to put up a, a wall around us. We're not put up a wall between you and God. We won't put up a wall between you and us. If you're seeking peace, we want to seek peace with you. We want, to find, we want you to find that here. And so in just a moment, Shirley's going to play that song that we sang earlier. Steve and I are here to pray with you if you need to pray. Let's find his peace together. Let's, let's stand together.